Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth. For the possible win. Snap. Spot. Kick away. High enough. Long enough. It's good! It's good! Carolina has won the game on a 42-yard field goal by freshman Potterburn. Good gosh, dirty. This is the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Vlog Podcast. It's your host, Anthony Pegnotti, here with you guys, as always. And today, it's been a little bit of a layoff. We're still dealing with some technical issues uh, on my end with the internet connection and everything like that. So unfortunately, as of right now, we are uh, just doing audio editions of the podcast uh, for the time being. Uh, no idea when it's going to get fixed. Uh, more than likely, uh, I'm just going to have to start staying at the job to do some of these. Um, so we're going to work on that. Uh, you know, luckily it was right at the end of the regular season, but uh, hopefully we can find a way, especially once we get around to the bowl game, to be able to do the video editions of the podcast again for you guys, uh, just so that we can get to the end of the year. Uh, I know you guys have really enjoyed that. We'll make this into a waveform like we used to do, uh, but for now, uh, certainly not the most ideal situation that we've been dealing with, but uh, we're glad that you're still here with us. Uh, plenty to talk about on today's edition of the podcast. Speaking of that bowl game, uh, Carolina found out they're going back to Charlotte. We'll talk about the Dukes-Mayo Bowl, what we make of that. Uh, we do have an update on uh, everything that's going on in the transfer portal. Um, you know, there, there is uh, you know, plenty to talk about on that front. Carolina having lost 16 players already to this point, uh, 12 of them scholarship players. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about some of the guys that Carolina is being tied to in the transfer portal as well. Their loan commitment, we'll talk a little bit more about him. Haven't really talked a lot about him. I mentioned him on the last edition, uh, but we'll get Josh's opinion on uh, him. And uh, then we'll we'll get you guys out of here. Of course, we will also talk about Tez Walker's decision to go to the NFL 
and choose not to play in the bowl game. But let's talk about the bowl game itself here right out of the gate. And let's talk about the Dukes-Mayo Bowl. Carolina back for the second time within the last three years. Um, you know, this is the sixth trip to uh, Carolina that, or to Charlotte that Carolina uh, will take for a bowl game. So uh, this is, you know, something that Carolina has grown relatively used to, especially considering the fact that uh, all of those trips have come since 2004. Uh, so this is a spot that, you know, if they have a chance to put Carolina here, they're going to. Uh, but they will face a tough test in this game against the West Virginia Mountaineers on December 27th at 5.30 p.m. And this is, you know, a West Virginia team that is in a much different spot from Carolina last year uh, at this time. You know, West Virginia, a lot of people around the program angry about the direction that things were going. They missed a bowl game, um, and they wanted Neil Brown fired. And now, as you sit here, this is a West Virginia team that's 8-4. and four. They're coming off a, a, you know, a year uh, in the Big 12 where they went 6-3. and three. Uh, Now, granted, the Big 12, not the greatest conference, but still, to do that in a Power 5 conference, they have to be feeling pretty good about themselves. And this game will, will mean a lot for them to try to get to nine wins, really restore some faith in the direction that their coach is taking them. Uh, so for Carolina, this is this is going to be a tough task, and I think that's the that, that's the thing we got to start with is you know where where does Carolina's mindset stand heading into this game? We'll of course break it down more once we get to the actual game, but I think a lot of, you know one of the things that's on a lot of people's minds uh, is that where does you know how does Carolina handle a game against an opponent that once again coming in you would imagine probably is going to be feeling better about themselves coming in than Carolina is feeling about themselves it's kind of where you were when you were here the last time your program is at a crossroads with the direction of it and you're going against an opponent where the game is going to mean more in a game that doesn't mean a whole lot of anything anymore and so Carolina's got to find a way to be motivated um, because for West Virginia, this game means a lot for this particular group because of the way the program has not won here recently, but a chance for West Virginia to get to nine wins um, in the new look Big 12 with Texas and Oklahoma you know, all leaving this year, their fans will be confident that they, that they can be competitive once again in that conference like they have been at various different times. And so, um, as for Carolina, you've got to find a way with – you know, all the guys you've already seen enter the transfer portal. You, we learned that Tess Walker's not going to play. Um, you know, you've got to find a way to get motivated. You're in your backyard. Your fan base is going to show up. Carolina is always well represented in this game. That's a big reason why they get put here uh, as often as they do. And hopefully um, you give us a better performance than what we saw two years ago against South Carolina. Yeah, I mean, it's a, you're, you're right. It's somewhat similar to what we saw against the Gamecocks, although I think – to be honest with you, West Virginia is probably feeling better about themselves than even South Carolina was then. Now, it's different. You're talking about, uh, at that time, a first-year head coach in – or was it his first year or his second year at South Carolina for Shane Beamer? It was his first. first. Um, and so, like, at that time, like, yeah, there was a lot of things that they were dealing with. They, of course, had the, you know, issues at, at, at quarterback – 
that they were going through, and still they found a way to come in here and beat you. This West Virginia team, um, it, it's completely different for them. Uh, I, I mean, you're talking about a team that is, you know, right where you're at, a chance to get to nine wins, an offense that's buzzing, uh, averaging over 31 points per game. Uh, their their problem is very similar to you. Defensively, they just struggle to stop just about everybody. So. Uh, that's really where Carolina has to make their hay. It's going to be one of those games where uh, Carolina you know, can potentially turn it into a shootout and just hope if, if they've got Drake May, then they've got a, a fighting chance. If not, then you're really going to learn a lot about Connor Harrell in this game. You know, I, I think the environment is going to be interesting. You mentioned it. Carolina should have a lot of fans there, you would expect, although I know just from seeing the reaction of, of Carolina landing in the bowl game and, and what some of the fans were saying, a lot of people saying, I'm not wasting my time. And frankly, you can't blame them. This is two years in a row where you have gone from potentially looking at at least, you know, being on the fringe of a New Year's Six game. I think this year, most people, when they were 6-0, and thought this team had a really good chance to end up back in the Orange Bowl to now you're playing in a third-tier bowl game uh, in terms of where this game stacks up in the bowl tiers for this conference. So, I mean, yeah, I, I think there, there will be some Tar Heel fans there, but they, they drew an opponent that out of all the teams that you could have drawn, um, you know, at, even SEC-wise, you feel like this is probably one of the worst that you could have drawn. Because West Virginia is, I mean, their fan base is incredibly passionate. They travel very well. And they've traveled to Charlotte incredibly well the few times that they have played here. So it'll be interesting to see how how Carolina fans show out and how the Tar Heels handle whatever type of environment they're walking into. In terms of Carolina's success in bowl games here, uh, you know, they're one in four in Charlotte bowl games. Their lone win was back in the 2013 Belt Bowl against Cincinnati. Um, they're also one and one all time against West Virginia, both, ironically, in bowl games. The 1996 Gator Bowl, Carolina uh, won that one. And then, of course, back in the 2008 Meinegi Car Care Bowl. Most Tar Heel fans will remember it for the catch that Hakeem Nix made uh, behind his back. Um, that was, you know, one of the most iconic moments that we've probably seen from Carolina um, in, in bowl games, if, if we're being real here. Uh, it, but, of course, it, it came in a loss. So Carolina's I mean, look, their history, especially recently in bowl games, has not been great. Their history in Charlotte in bowl games has not been great. Um, so they, they have a lot uh, to overcome uh, in this one. And, and then ultimately, you know, the thing is, is we have to see who will play in this game. We know one guy who will not play in this game, and that's Tez Walker. He made the announcement yesterday. It became official yesterday through inside Carolina sources, that he not only will go to the NFL, which was expected after he accepted his Senior Bowl invite um, earlier uh, or uh, yesterday, um, but you know at the same time he also uh, is now choosing to sit out the bowl game, which 
uh, is not great for Carolina in in any retrospect. Uh, you would hope you they were definitely hoping that they would have him, and especially uh, with the struggles that we've seen from Nate McCollum, um, the fact that I, I would imagine that. Kobe Pesor still not going to be available for this one. So um, this is this is a tough one for Carolina to lose him. Uh, and it's got a lot of people feeling uh, some type of way, especially on social media, about his decision to sit out the bowl game. What do you make of, of, of Tez Walker, you know, deciding to go to the NFL, one, uh, and two, uh, choosing to sit out the bowl game to do it? Yeah, I mean, not surprised by either, and you shouldn't be mad at either decision. Why would a kid come back to play college football after the NCAA failed him and took away half of his season? And the tape he put on in the second half of the year really confirms that he's going to be um, a, a nice day-two type of NFL draft prospect. And when it comes to sitting out bowl games, it's 2023. Like, if you don't play in the New Year Six – these bowl games don't matter. And I, I I find it hard to believe getting mad at a kid, making a decision that's best for him financially moving forward. Like, yeah, in the regular season, you're like if, if players start sitting out regular season games, we'll have a conversation. That hasn't that hasn't happened yet. Um, and, and so I, I just don't get this mindset of, of getting upset because, you know, if, if, if this would have happened 15 years ago and, and if, if kids would have been more aware, um, at what was on the line potentially, if they, you know, and I think after Jalen Smith got hurt for Notre Dame, it just made these decisions and he got hurt in a New Year's six bowl game, but it, it makes these decisions all the more easy. It's just not, it's not worth the risk you putting your body out there in a game that means absolutely nothing. And and so um, I'm not frustrated by it. Um, you know, appreciate all the things that Tez Walker did for the program on and off the field and can't wait to see what his NFL future holds once he gets to the league next year. Yeah, I, I'm I'm right there with you. I have absolutely no idea how anybody is angry at this kid. Like this is a decision that most guys are making at this point. Um, it's it's smart not to play, especially when you're a guy like him who, I mean, yeah, he has solid draft stock. He's probably a guy that's looking at late day two, early day three at this point. Could be a guy that could climb, if especially if he shows out in some of the pre-draft stuff. But you're not a guy that's a guaranteed first rounder where, yeah, even if you do get injured, they're still going to draft you relatively high. And even then, you're, you're, you're risking losing money. Um, I, I just, like, to me, it's entitlement. It's entitlement from the fans that think we we deserve to see you play. And this one, this one is even worse because it's basically fans that are saying, well, we deserve to see you out there playing because we fought it, you know, we... we fought the NCAA for you, or the at least the staff fought the NCAA for you. Um, I mean, I've seen multiple people that say Mac Brown should be mad that, first, that Mac Brown should be mad that he's even entering the draft. I've seen people with that take, which I think is just completely ridiculous. Um, I don't really understand. So these people really thought that Mac Brown, with everything that he did to make him eligible, really, more than anything, everything that he did 
just to make things the way that they were supposed to be um, w because the NCAA's ruling was just, frankly, asinine. Um, and now we, we deserve to be compensated by him staying for an extra season, by him playing in a bowl game that, uh, you know, to be honest with, with you, one, is not a high-caliber bowl game, and two, uh, is, you know, now creates a chance for you to get a look at what the group is going to look like next year and if they maybe potentially have to pursue someone in the transfer portal I, I just, to me, that mindset makes no sense. And I've also seen this, and this is this is really, I mean, people just do not understand anything about football, I think, outside, outside of the actual team itself. And, and look, I, I appreciate the fans that still, they're just, they're focused on Carolina football, and that's it. Uh, maybe they're Panther fans, but they don't really understand everything else that goes into it. I have seen a lot of people that have said, well, if he can play in the Senior Bowl, why can't he play in this game? I, I mean, guys, the Senior Bowl is a showcase event where all 32 teams are in attendance to watch the prospects there. You go there, you compete for a week with some of the best that are potentially ahead of you on draft boards. And depending on how you compete against some of those guys, that can affect your draft stock. A bowl, a bowl game where maybe there'll be scouts from, I mean, at max, because if Drake May was to play, which, again, we have no idea, and if we're being honest, probably not, um, you would probably have at max maybe 15, 16 teams that show up. Because you'll have guys that they're that are on West Virginia that they're looking at. Maybe some of our guys like Cedric Gray get a look or something like that. Although he's more than likely not going to play either. Um, although it had that hasn't been confirmed. Um, I just like to me, I don't understand how people take that mindset that the Senior Bowl means absolutely nothing. So he should sit that out too. It's like no, I don't really under. I I, I don't think these people are quite comprehending how the draft process works yeah no um and it's really just like educate yourselves the senior bowl is the most important non-new year six bowl game for people to play in this time of year um think about how how much people gain and lose at that event um and it's 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 really important it's highly regarded you're getting coached by NFL staffs you're you're getting evaluated by NFL scouts and everything that you do every practice rep every meeting of course what you do on the film that's not going to happen at the Duke's Mayo Bowl and so um i think for these people that and look I, i'm very old school in a lot of my ways and a lot of my thinkings too but this is just the new age and I don't understand how you're getting mad at a kid for after he had half of his season taken away, making a decision that's best for him financially. 
Um, and you know, that's just something that I'm not comfortable criticizing. And, you know, th- th- this is something that it's, it's been happening for a decade and it's not going away. As a matter of fact, it's only going to get worse. Once the playoff field is expanded and these bowl games even become even less meaningful, more and more guys are, are going to continue to sit them out because it's just not worth the risk of playing in a glorified spring game. Yeah, I mean, once once the college football playoff expands, these bowl games probably, I mean, let's be honest, they should not be played. They will be played because they it's it's all about the money and people will still show up and wa- and watch them. They'll still watch them on TV. Um, so they'll still be rolling in plenty of ad revenue, which is ultimately what matters. But yeah, you're right. It's pretty much going to turn into, especially with the transfer portal. I, I mean, just who simply has the majority of their guys ready to go for this game that played for, for them during the season? Um, and do you have some young guys that can really step up? Um, it'll be interesting in that respect. And I think there's still reasons to watch, especially, you know, you look at Carolina and in this game, um, you know, they could potentially be looking at, at Connor Harrell in this game. Does Is he a guy that stacks up uh, good enough to, to win the job? Um, and that's maybe the reason that they brought Max Johnson in to be a backup. Or is there really going to be a quarterback battle? Um, you know, there, there's plenty of other positions. Wide receiver now, what, what do they do without Tez? Is there somebody else that can emerge and really step into that role and become the next wide receiver that sort of takes over a game for Carolina. Now, ultimately, you know, I mentioned it there, Connor Harrell, this could be his game. What do you think Drake May ends up doing in this game? Because remember, the last time that Carolina was here in this bowl game, they had another quarterback who was a draft prospect. Didn't know how highly he would go. Now, he Sam ultimately went in the fifth round. Uh, but a lot of people thought he could be a second or third round guy. And he decided to play in the game, mainly because it was in Charlotte in his hometown. Drake, it's the same situation. He's a Charlotte kid. He's a Carolina kid. Do you think there's any chance that he plays in the bowl game or are people still just trying to dream a little too much? I think there's a chance because of where the game's being played. Um, And if we haven't already made people mad, this take's going to make many people mad. Uh, Drake May shouldn't shouldn't play in the game and it's in the best interest of the program that he doesn't play in the game um because he's done he's he's going pro he's going to the nfl because he's going to be at worst like the number three pick in the nfl draft when sam played it was yeah you know you 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 knew more than more than likely he was he was going pro but he wasn't this surefire nfl draft pick that Drake May is. Um, and also at the time, Carolina knew internally, and I know they went through a quarterback battle with with, with, with May and Criswell, they knew they had an answer at quarterback post-Sam Howell. We don't know that we have that answer right now post-Drake May. Um, and look, I think we like Connor Harrell. The staff has been very high on, on him since he got on campus. Um, I would like to see him have, you know, a full game that he plays 
and the practices where he's the number one quarterback. That's ultimately what's most important and most impactful about the bowl game is that you get an additional 12 to 15 or so practices depending on you know when you play your bowl game or whatnot. And then, of course, you have a game to really evaluate your team and your roster and what you got to do in the transfer portal moving forward. And so um, it's not an easy thing to say because Drake May is the best quarterback I've ever seen um, play at Carolina. And, I, and I've, I've loved watching him play over the last two years. But when I think about the program and what's best for it moving forward, what's best is that he doesn't play. Carolina gets a chance to evaluate Connor Harrell to figure out when we know when Max Johnson arrives on campus, is he arriving to be the starter? Is he arriving to compete? Or is he arriving just to be the backup behind Harrell? Yeah, I mean, we sort of we sort of did this also with 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 Sam. We said similar things, I think. But you're right, he's clearly a much more talented prospect than Sam was. A much, I mean, he's a surefire first-round pick. Like, I don't know if it's guaranteed that he goes in the top five. I'd be pretty stunned if he doesn't, because I really think he's a guy that will destroy the pre-draft process and will have a lot of people falling in love. Whether or not that means that he's better than some of the other guys that'll be coming out in this draft, I don't know. But... I I think this is a guy that, yeah, if he set out, nobody should. And there, there will be people that will be angry. Oh, there will be people that will complain about it. But ultimately, if he makes that decision, it's the best decision that he, that he could possibly make for himself. At the same time, if he chooses to play in the game, um, you know, I, I don't, per, selfishly, I would not care if he chooses to play in the game because I don't want his last game to be that game against NC State. Um, but at the same time, like if, if, if you're being practical, you know that the best decision for him is to probably sit this one out and prepare for the NFL draft. And yeah, it's probably what's best for Carolina. I do think, I, I think there is an argument though, that you could make that winning this game could be important for the direction of the program. Cause if you finish another season where down the stretch of the year, Basically, I mean, you you would lose five out of six to uh, Power Five opponents, and your lone win against a Power Five opponent in that stretch would be to Duke, a team that did not have their starting quarterback, did not have their backup quarterback, and was playing their third string, and you had to go to overtime in order to beat them, a double overtime, if you want to be correct. Um, so I do think there is value either way that Carolina can take from this. But, yeah, ultimately, what do I think is going to happen? I don't think he's playing in the game. I, I just, I I can't see it. I feel like this is even different from the last time um, where I, I just, to me, I, I don't feel like there's it's worth the risk because of how high of a draft pick he honestly is. So I think he'll probably sit it out. I think we'll get a look at uh, Connor Harrell. And yeah, I do think, kind of what you're saying, we will get a legitimate feel of the direction that this quarterback battle is going in. Do we have our guy and Max Johnson is coming in here maybe to just give him a little extra push? Or is this a situation where there is going to be a legitimate quarterback battle 
moving into this offseason. And I, I think right now that's probably where the staff views it. But this would be a chance for Connor Hill to prove otherwise. Well, let's talk about the transfer portal and you know everything that's going on. Carolina, the last time that we did uh, an edition of the podcast, uh, the last time I did an edition of the podcast, when I updated you guys, it was right after Andre Green Jr. had made his decision. Well, since then, uh, there's been a few more significant entries into the portal. So we're going to run through all of them here real quickly. Uh, 16 players overall, 12 of, them, 12 of them are scholarship guys. I'll tell you if a guy is a walk-on just so you know that, hey, this didn't free up a scholarship along the way. But uh, it started, of course, Kamari Morales, the tight end. He actually has found his new destination. He is going to Boston College, interestingly enough. Carolina goes to Boston College next year, so he will see his former team uh, at some point during the season next year. Of course, that hasn't been locked into place. Have to wait. I think it's until it's in early January when they make uh, that decision, so it shouldn't be too much longer before we find out. Kedrick Bingley-Jones uh, entered right after him. Uh, he was the first guy on the second day. Uh, started off with him. Jefferson Boaz, Elijah Green in the portal. Green, uh, I know, has been getting some looks. Uh, South Carolina, one of the ones that has been looking at him. They are desperate for running back help. Uh, were before uh, they lost their guy that contributed to them at the end of the year, even more so now that Mario Anderson is in the transfer portal. Uh, you have Jalen Brooks, walk-on. Uh, Malad Ajiapur, walk-on. Uh, Jalen Brooks, by the way, offered by Campbell. So already looks like it could be a good move for him if he can get a scholarship out of it uh, and land somewhere. Ryan Coe in the transfer portal. Multiple teams interested in him. In him. Uh, a couple in the group of five, a couple in the power five. Uh, Cole Maynard, walk-on, uh, also leaving. Uh, George Petaway, oddly enough, haven't really heard anything about him, uh, but that was probably the most significant, and it really just builds up from here. Andre Green Jr., this one, this one's definitely a tough one, especially when you see that he's taking visits to Penn State, uh, Virginia coming up. I know that uh, there are a couple other schools who have inquired about him, including Tennessee, uh, so he's going to be a guy that's going to land at a pretty significant spot and one that Carolina fans are going to probably be monitoring for years to come to see what his production is like and if Carolina should have been pushing to get him more playing time. Doc Chapman, uh, who saw a little bit of time at the end of the year, of course was the team's primary kick returner, so they're going to have to find somebody to do that with him and Petaway both gone. Uh, Deuce Caldwell, the uh, linebacker, depth guy, um, Major Bird, uh, walk-on safety uh, departing. And then you have three other scholarship guys, Justin Kanyuk, who never actually took the field for Carolina along the offensive line. Sebastian Cheeks, the backup linebacker, who looked like he was going to have a chance to play this year. And then uh, Tayon Holloway, uh, which is probably the most significant guy to this point to enter. Uh, he, he played in you know eight games for Carolina this past year started uh, those eight games uh, and now uh, is leaving. So this is this is a pretty tough one uh, for Carolina on that front. Now, what do you make uh, of the departures so far? What do you think impact-wise Carolina is sort of dealing with here? I mean, uh, there there isn't a name that, you know, you, you haven't had a, a legitimate big-name starter enter the portal. This is, this is what's going to happen moving forward. Um, what stinks is that some of these guys 
were guys that were highly regarded coming out of high school when Carolina was recruiting at a high level that you're now seeing exit the program. But these are guys that, you know, whether it was their fault or just the fact that they were just getting buried on the roster because there was other talent there, never really seemed to make an impact. But these, some of these names, like an Andre Green Jr., you know, a Deuce Caldwell, um, you know, some of those guys, you felt like were maybe poised to be a big part of whatever type of success this team was going to enjoy next season. And so, um, you know, I think on the one hand, the fact that you're seeing some of the schools that are involved with Carolina, uh, these transfers speaks volumes to the way that, that, you know, that Carolina recruited because, you know, Tennessee isn't coming and knocking on your door just to get anybody, not with the way that they've played the last couple of seasons. But I also think maybe it points to uh, maybe some issues on the coaching staff, not finding ways to get some of these guys on the field in one way or another to see what they could maybe bring and elevate you to another level. And so, um, so far, not a name that, that overly sticks out that you're disappointed in or surprised by. Um, this is a new era, and we should be expecting every year moving forward that, you know, anywhere from, you know, I would say from 10 to 20 guys are going to transfer themselves out of the program. Yeah, and look, this is far from the, the biggest group of players that are leaving a program, especially scholarship-wise. Like the walk-ons, I mean, look, here's the thing. You cannot blame walk-on guys if they're leaving to try to get scholarships and they're getting offers. Like that would, frankly, just not be smart on their part if they're passing that up. So for a guy like Jalen Brooks, it makes a lot of sense. He was a special teams contributor, but hey, if you can go to Campbell, which you would imagine that was probably part of the reason Carolina played them, Campbell may have said to him, hey, man, we really like you. Enter the portal at the end of the season, and we'll give you a scholarship offer. Um, Stuff like that makes a lot of sense. A lot of the other guys, yeah, I mean, like, we we said it when we talked about Elijah Green. That one made a ton of sense. He was a guy that we thought should have been playing this year and wasn't. So why would he stick around? He probably wasn't going to play much more again this year, especially behind Amari and Hampton. So he leaves Kedrick Bingley-Jones, another one of those guys that, yeah, injuries were a big part of it. But at the same time, I mean, with some of the things that we saw from this defensive line, how is that guy not playing more? Um, I think the ones that stick out the most and probably you would say hurt the most, although I don't know how devastating they are, are Andre Green Jr. and Sebastian Cheeks and and Teon Holloway. It's really that, that trio right there. Um, I think, you know, Holloway being a starter, I think that one is certainly significant. Although, as we saw towards the end of the year, you know, he gets banged up. Armani Chapman takes over for him. Um, It looks like Carolina, that's one of the spots Carolina's looking at people in the transfer portal is at that cornerback spot. It's not really shocking to me that he enters. Now, the thing that's interesting is that this is now two straight years that a guy that started the opener at corner for you, has entered the portal as a redshirt freshman. Now, you gave Teon Holloway more of a leash than you did Dante Balfour at the end of last year, but it'll be interesting to see where he ends up because I I get it. There were struggles. We talked about it a lot on here, and I think the move to go to Armani Chapman as the starter was the right one. The problem is, is that he's, you know, you're talking about a guy that's a graduate that is leaving anyways after the season. He will not be back uh, after the bowl game, Armani Chapman. 
And now, you know, you don't have that guy in Holloway that has starting experience for you. Now, there are other great options in the portal who we'll talk about here in just a second. But still, you would have liked to keep a guy around that knows your system, knows the coaching staff, um, and, and showed flashes at times of being a guy that can do things once he gets a couple of years under his belt. Um, Sebastian Cheeks, interesting to me considering the fact that he was probably going to have a shot to get more playing time, although maybe he knows something we don't. Carolina's got big linebacker classes that they brought in in each of the past two years, three linebackers in each class. You saw Amari Campbell climb over him already, but you thought just on the surface that he would probably be the guy that would be the primary backup to both uh, Power Eccles and Amari Campbell this year. And the hope, and I don't, maybe this is also part of it, is that he doesn't believe what the coaching staff would tell him, is that they will rotate more next year. They have to. There's frankly no no choice but to if you want to be better defensively. So probably not. Um, but he was a guy that looked like he could be in line for some sort of significant role. And then with Andre Green Jr., you know, this one to me is is very conflicted. In, conflicting in terms of talent, there is no doubt this dude. I, you just you saw it in the bowl game last year against Oregon. This there's something there for this guy, especially in the red zone. But the problem is, is that he was not able to really climb the depth chart uh, this year in the off season. Um, he was one of those guys that I think a lot of people felt like had a chance to be a starter this year. And look, by the time we were at you know the fir- in the first couple of weeks of fall camp, uh, we didn't really hear that much about him, and it was pretty obvious that it was down to Gavin Blackwell and JJ Jones as the guys battling for that uh, wide that wide receiver spot opposite of Tez Walker when they thought they were going to have Tez for the entire season. Even early in the year, that's when he plays the most snaps, and you would expect that he would um, because they didn't have Tez Walker. Early in the year, Carolina was still rolling with J.J. Jones and Gavin Blackwell, even though Gavin Blackwell was struggling. So I think that sort of tells you that Andre Green Jr. wasn't showing the staff what he needed to. He wasn't showing the consistency to be able to get on the floor uh, or on the on the on the field. And I think now you sort of you know wonder wherever he lands, it'll it'll show you was it the coaching staff just really over evaluating some of the guys that are on your roster, or was it really? Uh, you know him that that was the issue Uh, let's talk about the other side though the guys that uh, could be incoming but we'll start with the guy that is incoming and that's Max Johnson Uh, look he commits to the team uh, you know almost immediately after entering the transfer portal I think it was actually a day or two after he enters the transfer portal Uh, so Carolina got a commitment in the portal very quickly second player uh, scholarship wise uh, amongst the transfers in Division One to actually commit. So Carolina worked very quickly on this one. Uh, and a lot of people not thrilled about this pickup. It seems like as we've gotten further away from it, people have sort of warmed to the thought of him being the guy, especially when you see where some of the other big names, named quarterbacks that are ahead of him on most of these portal big boards are going. 
but where do you sort of stand on Max Johnson, and do you think he's a guy that Carolina brought in to compete for the job, or do you think it says more about Connor Harrell? Yeah, I mean, I think Carolina rushed to find their quarterback. There, there, uh, there's there are other guys that have entered the portal um, that I that I think we would have been a lot more interested in and maybe a lot more excited about. I mean, look, he played at Texas A and M, and I don't think he was the problem. So you know, there's talent there, um, and and he, he, you know, the limited success that. A&M has you know, experienced the last couple of years. He, there was times where he played a role in, in the things that they did. They did really well. You would just think that with where Carolina is offensively as a program, you would be able to draw a bigger name. No, you're not getting the Dillian, the, you know, the Dylan Gabriels of the world, um, who's going to Oregon. Um, but you know, the, to me, this just felt very underwhelming. And maybe you know we won't feel that way after we see Connor Harrell in the bowl game because we'll realize that they brought him in more just for for backup insurance to make sure they got an experienced guy ready to go. But um, I feel like if we come out of the bowl game and Mac Brown addresses the media after, you know, the, the second wave of, of, of signing day, and he's talking about a quarterback battle that Max Johnson is going to be involved with, I think it'll take some of the air and some of the excitement that I think we will have for the program going into next season. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 weird because I think this could be a spot where Max Johnson could probably succeed at more so than the SEC teams that he's been with. You go back and, and look at what he was with LSU. I think, you know, that was a guy that was young, really struggled to make the impact that I think they thought he was going to be able to coming out of high school as a pretty highly rated prospect. He goes to A&M, and I think, you know, he was pretty solid at A&M. Um, I, I think for them, they looked at Connor Wigman, a guy that was a former four, uh, former five-star player, number one overall quarterback in his class, and thought that he could take them to you know SEC championship type level, uh, and just you know wasn't able to do that. He ends up getting hurt, and then you get to see Max Johnson the rest of the way for A and M. And I mean, look, he did some good things for them. Um, I, I don't think he was necessarily the reason that they didn't reach their expectations, uh, but I do think he is kind of a middle of the road average quarterback. The one thing that he does do very well is he doesn't turn the football over. He, he only threw 12 interceptions uh, to his 47 touchdowns. So I, I think if you had to go with him as your quarterback, it's not the worst thing in the world. Could he win you seven games? Probably, especially in the ACC. But is he a guy that's going to be as good as Drake May, Sam Howell, those types of guys? No. I think this move says two things. One... I think it shows you that they are nowhere near where they need to be in terms of NIL to compete with some of these other teams that are going after these big-name quarterbacks. I think that's part of the reason that Carolina went after him. The other part, and the part, one of the parts that concerns me, is that they went after him because of who his dad is. And the fact that his dad grew up in this state, they feel like there's some sort of attachment. Mac Brown has done these types of things before where it just feels like there's certain connections that he wants to have with people when it's like, look, go out and get the best guy that fits this offense that can win you games. Um, but I do think it really more speaks to the NIL, that Carolina just cannot compete with any of these 
big-name teams that are going after these quarterbacks. And look, the guys that are on the board, the ones that we looked at and we said, okay, we'd love to see Carolina go after, to me, the primary one was Will Rogers. Will Rogers is a guy that, I mean, we haven't heard anything on him in a while. He got a, a crystal ball to Washington. If that's true, Carolina is not competing with Washington from the standpoint of that's a team that's going to the playoff and actually probably has a legitimate chance to win it all um, when, when they kick that off on January 1st. Uh, and then uh, NIL-wise, there's no way that the Tar Heels are stacking up with the Huskies. They're just, we've we've heard it from people around the program. There are not, there's not enough money for Carolina to be able to afford some of these high-name quarterbacks that are making huge money. Now, there are some other guys that are on the tier that I think Max Johnson is that Carolina fans probably wanted a little bit more. Um, there's some that I would steer away from. I know, like, I, I saw a couple of people that wanted Tyler Van Dyke over Max Johnson. I'll take Max Johnson. I, I mean, Tyler Van Dyke has won nothing. He is a complete flop each and every year. He starts the year out great. He falls apart down the stretch. So I, w- I would prefer to stay away from that. But the other thing, I, the, the other thing that I, I think um, would honestly work well for or, or that – probably uh, this move says for Carolina is that the staff really does believe a little bit in Connor Harrell. Cause I think if, if they thought that Connor Harrell couldn't be the guy, I really think there would have been probably more of an evaluation period as to who is a legitimate starting quarterback that we can go get that can give Carolina what they need to be uh, where they've been at the last few years. Because in their mind, they still believe that they can they can be the same team. It's probably not true, um, unless Connor Harrell is just that good. I don't think there's anybody that Carolina was getting out of the portal that would have been anywhere close to what Drake May and Sam Howell have produced for you. But I do think that this probably shows you that the staff has some confidence in Connor Harrell, that they like what they've seen from him so far, and that hopefully if Drake May doesn't play in this game, he's able to show that to you just a little bit uh, against West Virginia. Let's talk about the other guys that Carolina is interested in the portal in right now. We're not going to get into specifics about these guys, uh, but really we'll just update you sort of on some of the names and talk about maybe some of the positions that we want to see Carolina uh, get aggressive at in the portal. First one that Carolina offered, this one was uh, e- even before all the craziness started, and that's Joey Slackman, the defensive tackle from Penn. Uh, this is a guy that literally everybody in the country pretty much wants. Um, you would say, oh, well, he went to Penn. How great could he be? If you really need to know how good this kid is, just reference the Michigan offer as a reason to be somewhat interested in him. Um, also, uh, you know, th- there have been a couple of people, uh, I forget who from 24-7 Sports said this, um, I think it's Chris Hummer said this, that uh, Slackman very comparable to Braden Fisk, who had a monster year this year for Florida State and was a big part of the reason why many people believe they should be in the college football playoff. So I don't think Carolina, I don't know, I don't know if they really stack up that well in the running for him, especially when you're bringing in some of those bigger programs, NIL-wise. But he is a guy that Carolina is looking at. Uh, offensive line, Carolina's got two guys that they have already officially offered. Both of them are from North Texas. Howard Sampson, 
Young guy, didn't play a whole lot this year until the end of the year, uh, but played significant reps in the final two games of the regular season, was really good for them. Uh, so a guy that has a lot of upside, again, Power 5 teams have been offering just like Carolina uh, since he entered the portal. So uh, another guy that I think a lot of people look at the upside and think there's something there. Ethan Mincer, uh, more of a veteran guy that has been at multiple stops, was at Arkansas State, then came to North Texas, was phenomenal for North Texas, uh, you know, last year, this past season uh, before entering the transfer portal. Uh, the thing with him is, Sampson, you've got the connection to Randy Clements. That's who recruited uh, him to North Texas. With Mincer, he was there just this year. There is no connection with Randy Clements, although that could be one where. You know, Samson, some of the other guys that are on that North Texas offensive line could say to him, hey, that guy's interested in you. We really like him. Good coach. Can develop you the way that you need to be developed. Another guy that's being recruited by Power 5 teams, including NC State, who's on him real hard. So Carolina would probably love to win that battle and get an offensive lineman in there that they feel can help them moving forward. The other offer for Carolina so far is a JUCO. That's Tyrane Stewart, um, a guy who uh, had a really good year at East Mississippi Community College. Another one that is starting to receive some big-time offers from Power 5 schools. Uh, you know, a guy that isn't nearly as dominant as Elijah Hudsey was in terms of takeaways, but last year, 12 pass deflections, um, really productive, two, two interceptions for him. Uh, very good tackler as well, especially for an outside corner. 58 total tackles this year for a guy that plays on the outside is impressive to say the least. Um, so I think that could be part of the reason why Carolina is interested in him. A couple of other guys that Carolina has already been tied to. Um, the one that you know is, is most public at this time is Nylon Green, the corner from uh, Georgia. He's actually the number one corner in this class, uh, in the transfer portal. So this this would be a massive one if Carolina could find a way to come away with him. Uh, the reason why Carolina has you know such a good chance, or why at least most people believe Carolina has such a good chance, is that his primary recruiter and the guy that recruited him to Georgia was Charlton Warren. Also, his primary recruiter from Auburn at the time was Larry Porter. So Carolina's got both of those guys on the staff, um, you would imagine that that both of those guys have really strong relationships with him. And boy, you talk about a huge addition in the transfer portal. That would probably be the biggest one that Carolina has ever had, uh, transfer-wise. So I, I think that's one that Carolina fans should definitely be excited about. And then there is one other name that has popped up. Uh, there are a couple other ones that there have been some rumors about, um, including a couple other guys. I know uh, Marcus Carroll, the running back from Georgia State, is another name that's popped up. Uh, Austin Blasquet from Georgia. So two guys from Georgia that Carolina is interested in. Uh, Jordan Gilbert from Texas A&M. Um, and then a couple of guys from group of five schools, Jalen Husky and uh, Quintavious Leslie um, from Bowling Green and Western Kentucky, respectively. But the other guy that Carolina is officially tied to, the Porter Report had this one, uh, is Ke uh, Kelly Akari. And this one's interesting because he's an outside receiver. He's a guy that averaged 21.5 yards per catch this past year at UTEP. Very, very similar type of player 
from in terms of being a group of five standout, a guy that can take the top off the defense, a guy that's receiving a lot of interest elsewhere uh, for power five teams, very similar to Tez Walker. So Carolina could be looking at him as that replacement. When you look at some of the spots right now, what do you? Where are some areas that you think Carolina needs to address their roster in the transfer portal? I mean, it starts and ends up front. You got to get better on the offensive and the defensive lines if you want to. If you want to take a step as a program, um, you, you go back and look at your last two losses of the regular season. You just got worn down up front on both sides of the ball. Granted, you were playing against teams that got better line play, but I mean that's 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 the measuring stick. That's where you look in the mirror and say, you know, we got to get better here if we want to take that next step as a program. Um, them getting involved with the Georgia corner and Island Green is 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 a good sign because Carolina's corner play it felt better um this year but there's still room to grow for this defense to take a step just being able to make plays on the ball force turnovers and the like but you know none of it really matters until you get better up front and they, they they've had a hard time it seems recruiting and then developing those guys to become big time playmakers on the actual field. It's the biggest reason why this team has fallen apart down the stretch is it's just gotten manhandled up front. And so that's got to be the biggest area that Carolina addresses the most um, in the portal this year. Um, You know, it was important when you had great quarterback play and now it becomes even more important. Now that you're going to take a, you know, there's going to be a a sizable drop off in play at the quarterback position. You got to be able to protect your guy on the flip side. If this, defense, especially if Gene Chizik is somehow back as your defensive play caller, it's got to get better up front for it to become the best version of the defense that he calls and uh, schemes to be. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think just about everywhere in the trenches, you could add somebody. Offensive line, no question. You're losing so many guys on that offensive line that you have to bring in people that can not only contribute, but start for you. Uh, there, especially on the interior of that unit. You either got to find a new center, which would allow you to keep Willie Lampkin at right guard, or you've got to find a new guard, possibly two, if you don't believe in the guys that are already on the roster. Going to need a new tackle. Spencer Rollin won't be there. Um, that's one where I think Carolina has to go into the portal because their one guy that was supposed to be a rotational guy there this year was... Diego Pounds, he's going to be your guy at left tackle moving forward here. Um, so it's not like you've got anybody that the staff has talked confidently about that uh, is ready to step up into that spot. So, yeah, I mean, that's, to me, the biggest need is offensive line, defensive line. Yeah, you want somebody on the interior um, for sure. I think, you know, again, a lot of the guys that played there these past uh, couple of years They're still going to be on the roster uh, next year. But at the same time, I mean, it's time to stop just believing in those guys. And it's time to bring in some new faces that can actually have a chance of contributing. Because right now, you need new blood in that room. You need it coaching-wise, and you need it player-wise. Because it's clearly, the guys that are there are not getting it done. Edge rusher, I still think you need somebody there. Kind of shocked that Dez Evans hasn't made a decision on what he's doing, although uh, it could just be that his Carolina career 
uh, is coming to an end, and it could be that his college football career is coming to an end. But regardless, I don't think that he, Bo Atkinson, those, those are guys that should stand in your way of uh, potentially pursuing a guy at edge rusher if you feel like he can contribute. Amari Gaynor this year didn't really get the job done the way that I think a lot of us thought he would, um, but it makes sense. He was a guy that you kind of took a risk on because he originally began as an edge rusher at Florida State, converted to linebacker, and you were hoping that a move back to edge rusher would work for him. Didn't really produce great numbers, so maybe you go in there and find somebody uh, that, you know, uh, there, there are a couple of options of guys that came out of high school highly rated and just didn't fit in with some of the bigger programs. Maybe you take a risk on those guys or a productive group of five player that you think can really make a difference. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, corner, I, I think you're right. That makes, Nylon Green is more of a fact that, hey, this is a dude that is just that talented. There is no way, regardless of who we have, that we wouldn't go after him. Uh, but that's a spot. And then wide receiver. I think that's the other spot that you got to look at now. And I think they'd be smart to bring somebody in. Um, I don't know where Kobe Pesor is going to play. If they really feel that confident that he can play on the outside, then great. Let him let, let him play. Maybe you do kind of stick with uh, the, the group that you have there. Uh, but if not, uh, you probably should bring somebody in. And to me, that's one of those things where you could bring in, maybe you don't bring in a guy uh, that some of the, that, that is right at the top of the board that you know for sure is going to start, but bring in a, a guy similar to what we hope Max Johnson is that can compete with some of the guys in that room, like a Gavin Blackwell, like Kobe Pesor, Chris Culliver. Just give them a little push and, hey, if they need him, and, and if that player that you bring in performs that well, great. Play him, and he'll be a contributor for you this year. If not, all good. You got him in there you, you, to, to push your guys. It worked, and they'll play the majority of the snaps. So I think that's the direction uh, that Carolina could be looking to go. Another one to watch is running back behind Amari and Hampton. Uh, a lot of people... You know, including myself, believe the staff really is in love with Caleb Hood and what he can do, especially. And I don't think, you know, production-wise, that's been the issue. I think health-wise, that's what should probably push you to look for a backup running back or somebody that can at least contribute there if you need them to. So that's the look at the transfer portal, the bowl game being decided for Carolina. Tez Walker and his decision to sit out the bowl game, all that great stuff for you guys. we got articles on the website for all of that, so make sure you guys go there and check that out at HeelToughBlog.com as we get closer to the bowl game. Plenty more on that. We'll have, uh, of course, the preview for the game against West Virginia. We'll be recapping it afterwards. And then, of course, once the season is over, it'll be time for final grades and everything like that, so make sure that you're keeping an eye on the website for all of that. Meanwhile, on the basketball side of things, Carolina 7-2. and two. I know there are some Torrio fans that are not happy with the fact that they lost to UConn the other night. Uh, again, get a little bit of a reality check, guys. This is a program that has not been uh, you know, at, at the upper echelon of the NCAA uh, or uh, of back college basketball uh, here uh, in the last few years. It's taken them a while. They have one year where they made a run. And we're losing our minds over the fact that we got beat by the defending national champions uh, who have a really good chance to go back-to-back -back this year from what we saw the other night in their backyard, the place they call their second home. And you lost by 11. 
get get a little perspective. We got the uh, the last edition of the podcast where we talk about that. You can check that out on the website or wherever you listen to your podcast. Same place that you listen to these. And Josh has you covered throughout the season with all sorts of stuff, uh, game recaps, previews, any other news around the team on the website as uh, Carolina has a little bit of a layoff back in action next Saturday against Kentucky. So, uh, once again, that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. want to thank Josh for hosting with me. want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tarnas!